Section 4 of 14 Months in American Bastilles by Francis Key Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On the 10th of October, the following note was sent to Lieutenant Wood, who ordered it to be read to the prisoners. Fort Hamilton, New York, October 10th, 1861. Sir, I am directed by Colonel Burke to say to you that you can inform the prisoners that their petition has been forwarded, through Colonel Townsend, to the President United States. Very respectfully, your obedient servant, J. C. Lay. First Lieutenant, 12th Infantry. P.S. Colonel presumed that boat has brought you a supply of water. J. C. L. Of the gentlemen who signed the above remonstrance, which Colonel Burke thought proper to term a petition, many were members of the Maryland legislature. A large number were, up to the time of their incarceration, officers of the Navy, and others were men of high social or political position in their respective states. No reply was ever received from Washington. The rules to which we were expected to conform were posted on the walls of the different batteries and casements. They read as follows. REGULATIONS FOR THE GUIDANCE OF CITIZEN PRISONERS CONFINED AT THIS POST FIRST THE ROOMS OF THE PRISONERS WILL BE READY FOR INSPECTION AT 9 O'CLOCK A.M. ALL CLEANING, ETC. WILL BE DONE BY THE PRISONERS THEMSELVES UNLESS OTHERWISE DIRECTED. ALL WASHING WILL BE DONE IN THE YARD. SECOND NO CONVERSATION WILL BE ALLOWED WITH ANY MEMBER OF THIS GARRISON, AND ALL COMMUNICATION IN REGARD TO THEIR WANTS WILL BE MADE TO THE SERGEANT OF THE GUARD. Third, no prisoner will leave his room without the permission of the sergeant of the guard. Fourth, prisoners will avoid all conversations on the political affairs of this country within the hearing of any member of this garrison. Fifth, light will be allowed in the prisoners' rooms until 9.15 p.m. After this hour, all talking or noise of any kind will cease. Sixth, the prisoners will obey implicitly the directions of any member of the guard. 7th. Cases of sickness will be reported at 7 a.m. 8th. Any transgressions of the foregoing rules will be corrected by solitary imprisonment, or such other restrictions as may be required to the strict enforcement thereof. Signed, Charles O. Wood, 2nd Lieutenant, 9th Infantry, Commanding Post. Fort Lafayette, New York Harbor, August 3, 1861. Shortly after we arrived at Fort Lafayette, the following additional order was issued. No prisoners will be allowed to recognize or have any communication with any persons visiting this fort, excepting when the visitor brings an order from the proper authority permitting an interview, which interview will be held in the presence of an officer, and not to exceed one hour. The conversation during the interview will be carried on in a tone of voice loud enough to be distinctly heard by the officer in whose presence the interview is held. These rules were, with a singular exception, strictly enforced. Those of us whose quarters were contiguous were suffered to pass backwards and forwards at will, provided we did not step off the pavement, which ran around the enclosure. But we could not visit the quarters of those who were on the opposite side of the fort, without permission of the sergeant of the guard. 
We were only allowed to walk for one hour in the morning, and one hour in the afternoon, upon the little patch of ground within the fort. Why the privilege of walking there, at all times, was denied us, it is hard to conjecture. The space inside was so small, that when we took our afternoon's exercise, it was literally crowded. The walls surrounding it were three stories high, and there was but one point at which egress was possible, and that was just at the guard-house, where the guard was always on duty. It was but a wanton and senseless restriction to confine us to the pavement in front of our quarters. At first the prisoners had to clean their own rooms, and to perform all other similar menial offices. Afterwards they were allowed, for an hour or two in the morning, to employ one of the soldiers, who, being unable to speak or understand the English language, may be presumed to have been unfit for military duty, as he certainly was for any other. The most private communications regarding domestic affairs or business, having to be subjected to the criticism of Lieutenant Wood, we preferred to be silent concerning such matters, be the consequences what they might. Such were the regulations to which the government, or its agents, thought proper to subject its victims. Our complaints of the manner in which we were treated had been persistent and decided, and from time to time released prisoners made them known to the public through the columns of various newspapers. One of these statements appeared in the New York Herald of October 24th. It did not contain a line that was not strictly true. On the 26th, the following letters were published in the same journal, I presume, by Colonel Burke's directions. The first was addressed to the United States Marshal in New York. It was dated, the Herald said, on the 9th of October, 1861. Sir, I have the honor to enclose herewith a list of articles necessary for the state prisoners confined at this post, which you will please send me at your earliest convenience. The water being almost entirely out, you will please send me a water-boat, with a supply of water to fill two cisterns, which will last until we have rain enough to obviate the difficulty. You cannot comply too soon, as it is an immediate necessity. List of articles necessary for the comfort of prisoners. 100 blankets, 200 sheets, 200 pillowcases, 50 single mattresses, 50 pillows, 50 iron bedsteads, 50 armchairs, 20 small tables, 50 washstands, 25 wash bowls and pitchers, 10 small oval stoves and pipe, 50 wooden buckets, 100 tin cups, 250 yards of rope carpet for laying on brick floors. I take this opportunity to inform you that the ship's galley and other articles furnished by you are very satisfactory, and answer the purpose for which they were required. I am very respectfully, your obedient servant, Charles O. Wood, Second Lieutenant of Infantry, Commanding Post. Approved. Martin Burke, Lieutenant Colonel Commanding, Forts Hamilton and Lafayette. Headquarters, Fort Hamilton, October 24th, 1861. Robert Murray, Esquire. United States Marshal, New York. My attention was drawn to a statement in the Herald of this morning, from a prisoner lately released from Fort Lafayette. Now I wish to call your attention to the same article, and submit its further consideration to your judgment. You and I both know how hard the government has striven to make these prisoners comfortable, and if, in the whirlpool of business, they have been apparently neglected, 
we can both testify as to the present ample preparations which are being made, not only to render them comfortable, but even to put it beyond the complaint of some who would be unreasonable. In regard to myself, I can simply say that I have, to the utmost of my ability, tried to do my duty, alike to the government and the prisoners. Lieutenant Wood is unceasing in his care and watchfulness, and, as you well know, ready at any time to do all he can for the comfort of those under his charge. With regard to improper and false communications from released prisoners, if such there are, it is a question for the Honorable Secretary of State to decide how far such communications invalidate the parole of the person or persons making them. Very respectfully, your obedient servant, Martin Burke, Lieutenant Colonel Commanding. It will be observed that Lieutenant Wood's requisition was only made the day after the date of the remonstrance which we had sent to Mr. Lincoln. Whether it would have been made at all but for that remonstrance may well be doubted. We had been over two weeks in Fort Lafayette before Lieutenant Wood thought proper to give any such evidence of that care and watchfulness which Colonel Burke attributed to him. How hard the government had striven to make the prisoners comfortable may be judged by the foregoing narrative, and from the fact that the articles for which Lieutenant Wood called on Marshal Murray only reached the fort some time about the date of Colonel Burke's letter, and we had then been imprisoned there nearly a month. That Colonel Burke made any special efforts to do his duty to the prisoners is utterly untrue. He paid a visit to the fort about the 5th of August, and did not appear there again until about the 26th of October, and but for facts which I shall subsequently mention, it is not likely that he would have paid the latter visit at all. Had he chosen to inspect our quarters more frequently, or give us opportunities of preferring our complaints, he might, had he so pleased, have mitigated in very many respects the rigors of our imprisonment. I may add that no communications from released prisoners that I ever saw were in any particular untrue or exaggerated, and the promptitude with which Colonel Burke threw out his sinister suggestion to the marshal shows how anxious he was for the suppression of all such information. Our correspondence was subjected to the strictest scrutiny, and letters written by the prisoners were frequently returned to them, and generally because they contained facts which the government did not desire should become known, or reflections on the government itself. On one occasion Lieutenant Wood returned to me a letter which I had written to my wife. No reason was assigned for this, but I was forced to the conclusion that it was sent back because Lieutenant Wood chose to consider it too long. It was a small sheet of note-paper. There was nothing in the contents to which he could object, and as two letters of the same length as mine were returned to the writers that morning, with a message from Lieutenant Wood that they were too long, I inferred that mine was sent back for a similar cause. To such annoyances we were continually subjected. At times our condition became so unendurable that, finding our complaints unheeded, we expressed our sense of the indignities put upon us in perfectly plain language. On one occasion, when outraged by some fresh act of harshness or impertinence, I wrote a letter to a friend, in which, after describing our situation, I used this language. To have imprisoned men solely on account of their political opinions is enough to bring eternal infamy on every individual connected with the administration. 
but the manner in which we have been treated since our confinement is, if possible, even more disgraceful to them. I should have supposed that if the government chose to confine citizens, because their sentiments were distasteful to it, it would have contented itself with keeping them in custody, but would have put them in tolerably comfortable quarters. If I had been told twelve months ago that the American people would ever have permitted their rulers, under any pretense whatever, to establish such a despotism as I have lived to witness, I should have indignantly denied the assertion. And if I had been then told that the officers of the army would ever consent to be the instruments to carry out the behests of a vulgar dictator, I should have predicted that they would rather have stripped their epaulets from their shoulders. But we live to learn, and I have learned much in the past few months. This letter was returned to me the next morning, and on the following day one of the sergeants handed me a letter addressed by Colonel Burke to Lieutenant Wood, which he said the latter had ordered him to read to me particularly, and to the other prisoners. I was unable to procure a copy of this letter, but remembered the tenor of it. Colonel Burke expressed his surprise that I should have attempted to make him and Lieutenant Wood the medium through which to cast reflections on their superior officers. He was also pleased to say that, as my family had always borne a gentlemanly character in Maryland, he had not expected that I would be guilty of conduct so indelicate to use no stronger terms. He concluded by insisting that the government had been, and would be, unremitting in its exertions to make us comfortable. I immediately sent him this note. Fort Lafayette, October 23rd. Lieutenant Colonel Burke. Sir, Lieutenant Wood has communicated to me the contents of your note to him of this date. Permit me to say, in reply to your allusions, to the course I have thought proper to pursue, that you mistake me much if you suppose, as you seem to do, that a mere desire to embarrass or annoy you, or the officers under you, has prompted me to write the letters which have been returned to me. The fact that little or nothing has been done to make me or my fellow prisoners decently comfortable is self-evident to any one who chooses to inspect our quarters, and it was on that account that I chose to speak in terms of indignant denunciation of those who are responsible for the privations I suffer. If I made, or sought to make, the officers of the garrison the instruments to convey my complaints, it was because I am denied any other alternative. The invidious allusions which you have deemed it necessary to make in regard to me, I need not, and do not propose now to discuss. But you will permit me to remind you that if you have duties to discharge, I have rights to vindicate. The only one of these which has not been absolutely destroyed is the right of free speech within the narrow bounds of my prison, and this it is my duty and purpose to defend to the last. In the exercise of this poor privilege, I write the letters which I knew were to pass into your hands. As you have forwarded to the adjutant general the correspondence between Lieutenant Wood and yourself, I beg that you will do me the justice to forward also this note. I remain your obedient servant, F. K. Howard. To the foregoing note, he wrote this reply. Headquarters, Fort Hamilton, New York Harbor, 24th October, 1861. Sir, please say to Mr. Howard that I cheerfully forward his note of the 23rd instant to Colonel Townsend, agreeably to his request. 
However much the efforts of this government have fallen short of the expectations of the prisoners, to make them as comfortable as they may desire, still I must say that every exertion is being made by the government for that purpose, and such exertions will certainly be continued. Very respectfully, your obedient servant, Martin Burke, Colonel Commanding. Lieutenant Wood, Commanding Fort Lafayette. My father, to whom Colonel Burke's letter had been read, wrote to the Secretary of War, denying Colonel Burke's allegations, and charging him with neglect of duty. Fort Lafayette, October twenty-third, 1861. Honorable Simon Cameron, Secretary of War. Washington, D.C. Sir, the orderly sergeant has this morning, by order of the commanding officer of this post, read to me in presence of a number of persons, a letter by Colonel Martin Burke to Lieutenant C.O. Wood, written in reply to a communication from the lieutenant to him. Copies of both these letters, Colonel Burke states, he has forwarded to Washington. I have asked for a copy of the colonel's letter, but have not learned whether it will be given. In that letter, which is evidently intended as a rebuke to some of those confined here, Colonel Burke has undertaken to allude to the character and standing which my family have borne, for the purpose of introducing an offensive imputation that one member of it has acted in a manner unbecoming a gentleman. This charge I claim the right distinctly and directly to repudiate, and I have also to demand that an inquiry be made under your authority into the conduct of Colonel Burke and Lieutenant Wood, in relation to their treatment of those confined at this place. I now formally charge Colonel Burke with conduct unbecoming an officer, and also with neglect of duty. He has not, so far as any prisoner here is aware, been within this fort since on or about the fifth day of August last, and in undertaking to judge of Lieutenant Wood's manner of discharging his duty towards the prisoners under his charge, he must have acted upon the statements of that officer himself. The surgeon of the post and one other officer from Fort Hamilton have occasionally exchanged a few words with some of the prisoners, but whenever any of the latter have attempted to make any representations to them of our condition and treatment, both of those officers have declared that those matters are not in any manner within the sphere of their duties. There has, therefore, been no inspection of this prison, in which upwards of one hundred prisoners are confined, which would enable Colonel Burke to judge of the accuracy of the reports which he may have received. In the absence of all such means of knowledge or information, Colonel Burke has stated in an official letter that Lieutenant Wood, an officer under his command, has devoted his whole time to promoting the comfort of prisoners. Here, or words to that effect. The statement I charge to be not warranted by the facts, and to be entirely incorrect. I charge and aver that Lieutenant Wood has not only not devoted all, or even much of his time, to the promoting of our comfort, but that, on the contrary, he has neither in his general bearing, nor in the conduct towards those consigned to his custody, paid that attention to their comfort, which, even under the circumstances, which the government deem sufficient to warrant their imprisonment, they have a right to demand. The immediate cause of the rebuke attempted to be administered to us by Colonel Burke was a letter written to a friend by Mr. F. K. Howard, my son. However strong may have been the language used in that letter, it was the natural expression of feelings which are shared by every prisoner here, whose opinion I have heard. 
among these are many gentlemen of as high character and standing as any in the country. No intimation has been given by Colonel Burke that any specific fact stated in the letter was not true. Should he controvert a single one, my relations to the writer of the letter, and the mention made by Colonel Burke in his official communication of my family, to say nothing of the assurances voluntarily tendered to me by you in Fort McHenry, as to the mode in which the government considered me as entitled to be treated, justify me in demanding an opportunity to substantiate it. Having already addressed to you three communications from this place, of which no notice appears to have been taken, I should not again have troubled you, but that the issue I have now to make with Colonel Burke involves matter of a personal character to myself, and that I make direct charges against him and Lieutenant Wood, derogatory to their official positions, as officers of the army. I hope, therefore, I may not be mistaken in trusting that this communication may receive your early and serious attention. I am, sir, your obedient servant, Charles Howard. As usual, this letter was unnoticed by the authorities in Washington. In the miserable place which I have attempted to describe, we passed the period between September 26th and October 30th. The batteries were very dark when the doors were closed, and very cold when the doors were open. We were locked up every night from dusk until sunrise, and lights had to be put out at nine and a half o'clock. In such a crowded place, it was almost impossible to read or write. We found it difficult sometimes to keep ourselves warm enough even with the aid of overcoats. At times again the atmosphere of the room would be positively stifling. Some one or more of the inmates were constantly under medical treatment, and it may be imagined how noisome and unhealthy the room often was. As prisoners were, from time to time, discharged from the casements, the remaining inmates would invite one or more of those into the gun batteries, to fill the vacancies, permission to do so being first asked of the secretary of the guard. These invitations were given, not because the casements were less crowded than the batteries, but because the first stranger who should be brought in would certainly be put in the place of the prisoner who had been last discharged, and as the casements were to be kept filled to their utmost capacity, those occupying them preferred to have their friends and acquaintances for their companions. Small and crowded as the casements were, they were nevertheless a little more comfortable than the batteries, from having fireplaces and wooden floors. I was fortunate enough to get into one of these casements after I had been some two weeks in the fort. About ten days before we left Fort Lafayette, Lieutenant Wood chose to make the prisoners responsible for the drunkenness of one of the soldiers, and prohibited the further use of liquor, of any kind, among the prisoners. It was discovered a few days afterwards that some of the soldiers had stolen some of the liquor from the room in which Lieutenant Wood kept it, and to which the prisoners had no access. It was also discovered that the soldiers got liquor from the Long Island side, one of the crew of the boat having been detected in smuggling it into the fort for their use. These facts sufficiently accounted for the drunkenness of the soldiers, but Lieutenant Wood did not, on that account, relax his new rule. While we were allowed the use of liquor, no abuse of the privilege came under my observation, nor do I believe there was any. Just before the new restriction was imposed on us, I had received from New York two small boxes of liquor, containing a dozen and a half bottles, 
which passed, as usual, into Lieutenant Wood's keeping. The prohibition which followed prevented my using any of it, and when we were about leaving, I requested Lieutenant Wood, through one of the sergeants, to send it on with me in charge of the officer, who would have us in custody. This he did not do, and I never saw more of it. One or two of the prisoners afterwards received at Fort Warren the liquors that they left at Fort Lafayette, and one of the officers at the former post informed me that there were some boxes on the bill of lading which did not reach Fort Warren. Whether any of my stores were among these boxes I am unable to say. I only know that I never received the liquor which Lieutenant Wood had, and that many of my companions suffered in the same way. Those of our friends who obtained passes to visit the fort did so with great difficulty. The government seemed to have a strong disposition to exclude all strangers from the place. Six weeks before my arrest, I had made every effort to procure a permit to see my father, but could not succeed in getting one. Some New York politicians, however, were more favored. One of them, especially Mr. William H. Ludlow, could enter the fort at his pleasure, and see whom he pleased. On several occasions, when he made his visits, he sent for different individuals, to whom he represented himself as possessing great influence at Washington, and offered to try and procure their release, provided he was paid for it. What he received altogether I do not know, but I do know that he received two retaining fees, namely one hundred dollars from one gentleman, and one hundred fifty dollars from another. From the latter he had a promise of a contingent fee of one thousand dollars. I do not believe he rendered any service to his clients, both of whom were taken to Fort Warren and exchanged, or released, nearly four months afterwards. The private soldiers at Fort Lafayette were worthy followers of their commanding officer. They were uniformly as brutal in their manners towards the prisoners as they dared to be. The sergeants, however, who were there when I was, were generally civil, and were as kind as they had an opportunity of being. But if the situation of those who were fortunate enough to enjoy good health was almost insupportable, the condition of the sick was far worse. No provision whatever was made for them. Men suffering from various diseases were compelled to remain in their clothes in damp quarters, and struggle through as best they could. One man, a political prisoner, had an acute attack of pneumonia, and lay for ten days in a damp, dark gun-battery, with some thirty other prisoners. One of the privateersmen was dangerously ill with the same disease in the casemate in which so many of them were huddled together. When I obtained permission to carry him some little luxuries, I found him lying on the floor, upon two blankets in a high fever, and without even a pillow under his head. He would have remained in the same condition, had not the political prisoners relieved his necessities. It was not until he seemed to be drawing rapidly towards his end that he was sent to a hospital somewhere on Staten Island. Another man, a political prisoner, manifested symptoms of insanity. His friends and some of the physicians, who were among the prisoners, called Lieutenant Wood's attention to the case. He treated the statement with contemptuous indifference at the time, but a few days afterwards we learned that the man had been sent to the guardhouse. Here he became thoroughly insane. Instead of being sent instantly to an asylum, he was kept for some ten days in the guardhouse, 
and in double irons. His friends were not allowed free access to him, and surrounded by strange soldiers, he was at times apparently in an agony of dread. His shrieks were fearful, and one night, as he imagined he was about to be murdered, his screams were painfully startling to hear. In some of these paroxysms he was actually gagged by the soldiers. He was subsequently removed to an asylum, where I believe he eventually improved or recovered. A letter written by one of our number to the counsel of the unfortunate man, in Baltimore, urging the exercise of his influence with the government, on behalf of the sufferer, was not allowed to reach its destination, although directed to the care of Lieutenant General Scott. Among the pettier annoyances we underwent, the trouble we had about our washing may be mentioned. At first we were allowed to send our clothes over to Long Island, where they were well enough washed. But, for some reason, best known to himself, Lieutenant Wood interfered, and determined to have the washing done inside of the fort, under his own supervision. It must have been a very fair speculation for himself, for his charges were high, and the work was so carelessly performed that he must have employed the fewest hands possible to do it. What he charged me by the piece I cannot say, for he helped himself to his bill before he handed over my money to the officer, who escorted us to Fort Warren. Probably it would not have been altogether safe to have demanded an account, for one of the sergeants was put under arrest for complaining, as he stated to the prisoners, of Lieutenant Wood's prices for washing. On one occasion, Lieutenant Wood, in full view of the prisoners, kicked one of his boat's crew from the door of his own quarters, and continued the assault until the man had retreated, almost the whole length of the balcony, upon that side of the fort. I mention this as an illustration of his mode of dealing with his subordinates, of the propriety and manliness of such a proceeding, on the part of the commanding officer, others can judge for themselves. Many of the prisoners had friends and acquaintances in New York, but most of these were either afraid, or did not care to show any kindness or attention to parties who were under the ban of a suspicious and tyrannical government. Some few people in that city, had the courage and inclination to render us any service in their power, and prominent among these was Mr. Cranston, of the New York Hotel. But the number of those who thus acted was singularly small. I cannot take leave of this portion of my narrative without recording the obligations under which the prisoners in Fort Lafayette must ever remain to Mrs. Geo S. Gelston and Mr. Francis Hopkins who lived on Long Island, just opposite sight the fort. They were unwearied in their efforts to alleviate our situation. Day after day, for weeks and months together, they manifested their good will in the most generous and substantial way. Food for those who were too poor to buy a decent meal, delicacies of all kinds for the sick, luxuries for others, all these were supplied by Mrs. Gelston, with a bountiful and untiring hand. To her tender sympathy and generosity, very many of the prisoners were indebted for comforts which were absolutely necessary to enable them to endure the privations to which they were exposed, and I know I but inadequately fulfill the wishes of every one of the former inmates of Fort Lafayette in thus giving public expression to thanks which they had no opportunity to return to their good friends in person. It is scarcely necessary to say that our opinions as to the sort of resistance we should offer to our oppressors, 
underwent no change in consequence of our cruel imprisonment in Fort Lafayette. I found on reaching there that my father and most of his companions had taken the same view of their duty under the circumstances as we had done, and with every day's prolongation of our sufferings we were the more and more convinced that with a despotism so atrocious we ought to make no compromise. End of section 4 Recording by Katie Riley September 2010